We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Derek Van Riper joined today by Tim Heaney. Tim making his Roadwire Podcast debut, but Tim, of course, is a familiar voice if you've been following anything pertaining to fantasy football or fantasy baseball over the past, what, 10, 12 years now, Tim? And you and I have been in this industry for pretty much the exact same amount of time. Yeah, um, about 10 years. Uh, yeah, 2006 uh, was about the time I started writing football. Um, yeah, it's, that kind of flew by, huh? <laughs> it, it's crazy. I mean, I feel like I just walked out of college a few, few days ago, but no, it's, it's already been, it's already been uh, 10 years, full 10 years, year 11 in progress for me. So, like, yeah, I think we both graduated from college in 06, so you were uh, yep. a BC guy, right? Boston University, and there is a big difference, Huge and I difference. tell people – to uh, you know, kind of heed that difference if they want to 
actually be my friend. So I'll let you slide this one time with that. That's right. I don't, yeah, I don't know why. It's just the thing. If you're a Midwest person, you kind of just like think they're interchangeable. They're clearly not. So my apologies <laughs> for that. Uh, Boston University graduate Tim Heaney. Uh, if you listen to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and you enjoy it, please take a few moments to leave us a nice rating and review. It goes a long way to support the work uh, that we're doing here. Now, on the Thursday episode of this podcast, uh, Nick Whalen and I went through each of the 32 teams, and we found at least one player on each team that we just didn't like at their current ADP. And you could probably do that for all 32 teams in a positive way, but I'd rather be more effusive in praise with a dozen or so players. Some of these guys are guys we both like, uh, just to really encourage people as they go into their last weekend of drafts, you know, hey, these are the guys that can help you the most based on how they're being treated. So I, I think we can really push some people in the right direction with today's episode. And we're going to work through pretty much the entire ADP report. Most of the players we're talking about all going to be within the top 200. Uh, it's kind of split half and half as far as guys that are like top 100 guys and then 100 to 200 range players. It's going to be a mix of different positions as well. Uh, I always think in terms of like PPR leagues, Tim, maybe half point is kind of the default, but full point definitely on the brain as we move closer to the weekend. I got the NFFC Classic coming up here on Saturday, so definitely looking forward to that. Now, as we get started, the first player I look at at the ADP report who just seems undervalued based on what he has done throughout his career is Randall Cobb. And I feel like the case for Randall Cobb begins with the fact he was not hurt. He was hurt at the very beginning of last year, so he was not healthy really at any point, dropping balls at a rate that just didn't seem normal at all for Randall Cobb, usually a pretty sure-handed sort of player. And his yards per target number fell off considerably because, as we all know, without Jordy Nelson, that Packers passing game had a completely different look. Cobb was getting more attention from opposing defenses, and they simply could not stretch the field. Safeties could play uh, much closer to the line of scrimmage, and Cobb's production really took a hit as a result. But what I need from you, I need to know, and by being a complete homer as a Packer fan and liking Cobb as a guy who's going kind of in that 28 to 32 range overall, or is that actually great value when his teammate, Jordy Nelson, is going 10 to 12 picks earlier? Well, I mean, homerism is a funny thing in fantasy. Sometimes it can you know, cloud your judgment. Sometimes it can kind of remind you what you've seen and, and how that can you know, impact the guy's value. Yeah, I'm with you on the fact that Cobb is kind of being forgotten about a little bit. Uh, PPR leagues, you think people will be jumping on him more than guys like T.Y. Hilton and, you know, Sammy Watkins, guys that are more, you know, downfieldish type of players, not necessarily guys that can rack up 90, 100 catches. Cobb is, I, I think the high floor is kind of being ignored a little bit in comparison to the upside that's kind of surrounding him there. But I've seen Demarius Thomas go before Randall Cobb in some drafts, and I've kind of shook my head at that because, you know, the, the, obviously the, the flux that's going on with, um, with Denver's quarterback situation does not make me want to really reach too much for Thomas or, any, or Sanders or anybody in that thing. But, you know, Cobb, the thing with him, obviously, he, I think you're, I agree with you in that he is a, obviously his possession uh, skill set does uh, make him a better player when Jordy Nelson is on the field to stretch defenses and kind of take that attention away. I don't think uh, Cobb was a guy that really is the type that can be a number one option to have double coverage a lot on him. Uh, obviously over the middle, great with that, great in the red zone. But you do want to have Cobb be that second read, I guess, more so. Uh, when it comes to target and target percentage. So, yeah, uh, it's one of those cases where a teammate being there is going to make him a lot better. And, yeah, I'm with you. I think Cobb's a, a sneaky number one if you can really, you know, wait on wide receivers. But definitely probably one of the best uh, number two options in PPR you can get as a wide receiver. 
I mean, I'm thinking about him as a player who might be there because of the third round reversal in the NFFC. I've got the 14th overall pick, so I pick at 14, mm. 15, and then again at 29. So 29 is that sweet spot where Cobb could be there. And if some combination of like Peterson and Lamar Miller were there at the turn, going running back, running back, and then Cobb is something that I've at least thought about doing. I don't know if I want to go uh, quite that thin at receiver. I might go running back receiver mm. and get Cobb as my second but he's definitely somebody who could end up on my team uh, this weekend. I've got a few shares already. I'm not afraid to have three or four shares of Randall Cobb, uh, especially with Nelson working his way back and seemingly on track to be ready uh, for the opener. But the other player I'll be thinking about in that exact draft slot, and this is a legitimate toss-up that I think a lot of people are going to be faced with as they kind of move into the early part of round three, is Randall Cobb versus LaShawn McCoy. You know, If you don't have a running back yet, McCoy might just be the simple way to go based on that because for me I look at that Buffalo backfield and I see very little that's going to push LaShawn McCoy for carries as long as McCoy is healthy we could see 260 270 carries last year still at 4.4 yards per attempt maybe some of that big playability that he had earlier in his career is fading I'm talking about the 2011 season when he had the 14 carries of 20 or more yards but I think I look at McCoy as someone who's just very stable at the running back position at that point where you're starting to get a lot of questions, you know, Doug Martin losing some carries at the goal line to Jameis Winston. Uh, you might look at it, Mark Ingram's injury history and be kind of scared off. I know he was one of the players I talked about on the bust episode, but where do you stand on Shady McCoy right now as someone who's often falling to the early part of round three? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily undervalued because I do think the floor is kind of, you know, I don't think the floor is going to be anything that's going to be like a, a weekly number one guy, but he's definitely one where you can plan to have as a weaker number one and still have a really good backfield because that's that's that stability. And as you said, the, the fact that Carlos Williams is, is no longer in the picture, um, you know, and, and, the, and I, even though I like guys like Mike Gillisley, uh, that's not the guys that you're going to say, oh, I'm, we're not going to give McCoy 20 carries or 15 to 20 carries per week because of their presence. Uh, the touchdowns, you know, have been erratic over his career to begin with. So that's something that you kind of take with you in his profile. But that, like, as you said, that offense is just, you know, made for the run. Greg Roman didn't waste time featuring McCoy, at least as, you know, the, the number one out of, out of four top guys last year. Still a great system for that. Tyrod Taylor looking comfortable. Uh, you know, he obviously opens up defenses for the run a little bit more as well. So McCoy is, like, you know, he, he's just one of those stable guys, that I, another one like Cobb that people are just kind of glossing over because there's not much excitement to him, but there's definitely – an amazing foundation for, for, for value in round three at running back. And like you said, the re- third round reversal definitely gives you a really good advantage to sneak, su- sneak him onto your team. I've had to wait in non third round reversal drafts for him. And I've, I've missed out on many of them. So it's kind of a uh, irritated me there, but as, as a number two, he's perfect as a number one. You can, I think you can work with that with, with this offense with them. And I think there's been a small amount of helium with McCoy over the course of draft season. I think if you go back to the original ADP reports, he was falling closer to pick 40. Now he's getting a little closer to pick 30. I think 33 is roughly the ADP right now. Uh, You look at the expected touches. If he gets you 260 carries and catches 40 passes, I don't think either of those numbers are a stretch. I mean, how many backs going in round three do you look at and say, yeah, that guy's got a pretty clear path to 300 total touches. To me, that's a pretty short list. And in the case of McCoy, he's a guy that might get you 13 or 1,400 yards from scrimmage. The TD production is kind of interesting, right? Because his final season with the Eagles – just five total touchdowns, even though he had 340 touches last year. Uh, five TDs, a uh, much lesser role volume-wise because he missed four games due to injury. But I just like the fact that as a, a back that's acquired quite a bit of mileage, he's a younger player relative to 
uh, the number of years he's been in the league. He's 28 years old, but he's been in the league since 2009. You know, he has piled up a lot of wear and tear on those legs. Doesn't seem like the efficiency is going down. And I think Tyrod Taylor's mobility is a big part of that, right? When you look at mobile quarterbacks around the league, it changes the way that the linebackers have to play the edge. When that happens, things can open up in the middle. And I think that's what keeps McCoy with that steady floor. I don't really see the efficiency falling off. If he averaged fewer than four yards per carry, I'd be shocked this year. And that offensive line is going to be even more stable by playing together another year. And obviously, you know, that, Richie Incognito's arrival is going to be huge for that run game at left guard as well. And if people don't realize how, how steady the Bills have been in, in, in you know that run game last year, that offensive line really sticking together. So, yeah, there's a lot of pieces that are going to make McCoy's floor really high, and people need to really catch up on that. Absolutely. Now, as you move a little further down the board, perhaps uh, at the end of round three, probably early middle part of round four, depending on the number of teams in your league, Eric Decker is one of those players where, again, if you have a running back or maybe a tight end you took early, if you're the team that took Gronk or something along those lines and you're trying to make up some ground at the wide receiver position, one of the players I feel like you can do that with is Decker, the current ADP, right around pick 40. And as we've seen throughout his career, I realize he played a couple years in Denver uh, with Peyton Manning, but Eric Decker just seems like the kind of player that finds a way to produce uh, despite the play of his quarterbacks. And that goes all the way back to his college days at the University of Minnesota. University of Minnesota never put an NFL caliber quarterback on the field for Eric Decker. Teams knew he was their only weapon, and he was a great player even in the Big Ten at that time. And we've seen a similar line from him as he's progressed through his NFL career. Of course, 12 TDs last year, 80 catches in 15 games, uh, 7.8 yards per target, maybe a little bit of room for improvement there, but he does have that big playability. And he's one of those guys, just very sure-handed. He's got the size to get open in the red zone just seems like he's one of the more stable options as that pool of viable wide receiver twos starts to dry up. Yeah, he's definitely one of those ones where if you really don't have that security, you definitely want to snap him up. We keep talking about all these high floor guys. This is another one. And as you said, Decker, very good presence in the red zone. He was actually one of the better red zone performers, I think, of any position last year, if I'm not mistaken. He had a really high... uh, uh, conversion percentage on his targets in the red zone uh, I'm, you know ryan fitzpatrick had a little bit of a you know disparity in believability in his you know yardages or you know compared to his red zone production which i think might drop off a little bit um the running game is you know with matt forte erratic red zone performance there that might take something away but uh deck you know decker like you said does work with quarterbacks that are a lot worse than fitzpatrick in his career and i think that's the that's the case where you know he's going to have a matchup problem anyway uh, for most of the quarterbacks he faces. So yeah, another, another guy that it's just, you know, a, a nice high solid floor in that one. So yeah, it's, it's one of those guys where if you don't get a guy like a, a Decker or even like a Watkins or something like that, almost the same cobbish type of tier there, uh, you're going to be in trouble. I, th- I think the other thing I like about Decker, he's got Brandon Marshall as the number one on the other side of the field. And as we've seen with Brandon Marshall, I mean, three of the last four seasons, Brandon Marshall's caught at least a hundred passes He's had double-digit TDs in three of the last four seasons. The seasons where he fell short, it was only 2014. He missed uh, three games that year. Played a few games, I think, with an ankle injury where he wasn't quite himself. It was more of a decoy. He's just one of those players that people underrate quite a bit. And I think having Marshall on the other side just opens things up even further for Decker, who rarely is going to see the opposing team's top corner. It has to be a situation where a corner doesn't really change sides of the field uh, for Decker to really match up against a number one other thing i like about it you could look behind decker on the depth chart you don't really see anybody else 
in New York who jumps off the page as someone that must have targets this year, right? I mean, Quincy Inunua, if one of Marshall or Decker got hurt, would be a waiver wire target. But as the third option there, I don't really see Inunua doing a whole lot. Uh, I don't really see them uh, changing up how they handled tight end, even with Jason Morrow back. Like, Morrow is going to be somewhat targeted in the red zone, but not enough to really significantly impact the value of guys like Marshall or Decker. Yeah, no, Fitzpatrick will rely on the guys he knows with his, with his timing-based you know, based, uh, offensive uh, approach. So, yeah, uh, the, the, the fact that there's not going to be anybody even remotely threatening to, to Decker is going to be you know, uh, good, for his, uh, good for his workload. Now, the next player on my list, you move a little further down, like round five or so, Ryan Matthews. If you're going zero running back, which maybe needs a re- new name, we can debate that some other yeah. time, but <laughs> you're, you're trying to like, wait on the running backs because you like the value at receiver, tight end, maybe one of the elite quarterbacks in round four. Totally makes sense. Matthews might be your number one running back in, in some spots. And on an Eagles team last year that didn't run it well at all with DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews had a career-high 5.1 yards per carry. Six of his 106 carries went for 20 or more yards. And he's shown us in the past he can catch some passes. Now, durability is the problem. Missed three games last year. Missed 10 games in 2014. Missed four back in 2012. So you you might be getting a guy that plays 12 or 13 games, or at least that's what you're penciling him in for. But, again, you look at the depth chart around him. Darren Sproles is a role guy. Fun player to watch. Kenyon Barners had a great preseason. I don't think it necessarily leads him to a more prominent role once the games begin to count next week. And, and for me, Wendell Smallwood's more of a, a dynasty league sort of player than somebody who's going to push a healthy Ryan Matthews for a significant number of touches this year. So have you found that in leagues where you are attacking receiver, tight end, or quarterback early, that Ryan Matthews is one of those players you're often gravitating toward? Um, a little bit. I'm not all that excited. I think the price is actually somewhat right. In, uh, in NFFC targets, you know, uh, the one we have here, figure we have here is 66.3 as an ADP. I think that's about right, given, like you said, the built-in risk that comes with him in his career. The thing that worries me the most about Matthews, despite the opportunity that's being so well there, that the times he succeeded, it's mainly been zone-blocking uh, offensive line schemes. Now, he coming in with Doug Peterson, the new scheme is going to be mostly manpower-based. So I, I think he can adapt to it, but I don't think it's going to be as optimal uh, production per play as it's going to be. And we saw in KC last year, you know, Doug Peterson kind of, you know, went situational with guys that we didn't think would be big threats like Sharkandis West, um, you know, Spencer Ware, and even at times Niall Davis. I don't know if um, I don't know if Peterson's going to care that the guys behind Matthews aren't really established. He might just play what's the best uh, at that moment or something like that. You know, if, if Matthews has been kind of getting a little bit busy workload and hasn't working, maybe he'll change it up a bit more. But like you said, it's, it's, it's definitely a good RB2 situation for Matthews to be in because of the opportunity and, and um, you know, the, the, the changes that are going on there. Maybe Matthews being the one that has been there will be making the most reliable chip there. I just don't want to get too excited about it. He's definitely more of a, a settle option for me, not necessarily one with a ton of upside because I think I don't want to buy a guy like Matthews high coming off a good year. See, for me, I think the, the comparison I make for Ryan Matthews is Mark Ingram. I mean, you might like the Saints offense more than the Eagles offense as a whole, which certainly makes sense when you account for quarterback play and, and the talent at wide receiver. But you have two guys who miss a lot of time in Ingram and Matthews, and Ingram's going to cost maybe a third-round pick by comparison. So you're going to have to jump up two, two and a half, maybe even three rounds to get Mark Ingram. And you have similar problems with injury risk. Both can catch passes. They're pretty similar in terms of their efficiency. So for me, it's almost like, okay, if I, if I want a player like that, I'm happy to take Matthews where he's going, and I'm staying away from Mark Ingram at the end of round three. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, relatively, it's definitely. I would rather have Matthews at that price than Ingram at his second round price. There's, there's no no comparison there because it's you know the the the, the uh, threshold for profit is definitely a lot easier for Matthews. I'll definitely uh, I'll, I'll give you that point. Now, my homerism is on full display in this episode. Melvin Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> burned a lot of people a year ago. I didn't have as many shares of him last year as I would have expected going into draft season. But the thing I've said about Melvin Gordon since he left the University of Wisconsin is that he is not the typical Wisconsin back. He's a little more shifty. He's got better top-end speed. I think he can catch passes out of the backfield, which he did reasonably well last year despite playing in an offense where Danny Woodhead gets on the field for those situations quite a bit. If you look at the ADP data, Melvin Gordon going quite a bit further down the board than a guy like Woodhead right now, full point PPR, of course, in the NFFC. I'm surprised to see that. We are seeing Melvin Gordon now. It feels like the industry as a whole is kind of starting to nudge him up a little bit, maybe in part because of the Brandon Oliver Achilles injury, less competition for carries as a result. I guess the big question is, do you buy into San Diego's run blocking as being improved enough for Melvin Gordon to take a big step forward in year two after he failed to score a TD as a rookie last season? I think it has to be better by default, regardless of what they try. Last year was just abysmal. Uh, I, I, it's another one, actually. I, whereas Matthews' uh, situation, I think, got a little bit less advantageous for his skill set. I think this is actually a really good move for uh, for Gordon to have uh, Ken Wisenhunt and his zone blocking uh, offense come in. That's definitely more so with with Gordon's skill set, uh, you know, than uh, than than what Matthews was with with Philly. So, uh, you know, the, the, the January microfracture surgery kind of sent his ADP into the toilet most of the time. And uh, obviously we've kind of said, be patient with that, see what develops through August. Cause he, there was plenty of time to recover from that. And I think, you know, this is a case where the eye test in the preseason does actually matter because we do see a lot more, you know, a spring in his step, you know, when he's carrying the ball, even on, on the dump and on, on the, Reception, receiving touchdown he had that that showed a little bit more of the the go you know go up the field with a burst type of uh, skill that came back for him he, like you said he caught 33 passes last year he's not going to cede every passing situation to Danny Woodhead and you know Woodhead is a good red zone back in his own right but if they go with a split between those two that's still very good number two numbers for what the whole running back position has become for Gordon so yeah I'm definitely bumped him up a little bit more so I'm you know I, I haven't had the chance to really – I don't think I've actually owned him in a league yet, so maybe I might just have to sign up for one more to get him as my number two. But I, I do think San Diego is going to commit to the run. I, I don't think last year was a choice not to run. They just couldn't. So they had – you know, they were forced to just have Rivers throw all that – you know, all those times again. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more bullish on Gordon than I had been in January, February. I'm, I like what I'm seeing so far out of him. I do wonder. I haven't looked at the splits, games that Keenan Allen played versus games that he didn't. How much the absence of Keenan Allen really made the Chargers one-dimensional? You know, was the problem the, entirely the blocking up front, or was it at least partially due to the fact that they didn't really have their number one receiver on the field throughout the second half of the season? Because Keenan Allen was on pace for 134 catches last season, which just blows my mind every time I look uh, at the stats from a year ago. I mean, eight of his 67 catches went for 20 or more yards. He got the efficiency kind of splitting the difference between his first two seasons in the league. So I just wonder how much having a healthy number one wideout gives this offense more balance. And with that, how much easier it is for both Gordon and Woodhead. Woodhead wasn't efficient as a runner last year either. I mean, that's the thing people need to keep mm-hmm. in mind is that you go back to 2013, Danny Woodhead ran it 106 times. He got four yards of carry. Last year, ran it a similar number of times, 98 carries, but down to 3.4 yards per attempt. And if you look at the difference between the two as far as their ability to break off big runs, I mean, Melvin Gordon over Danny Woodhead all day as far as who's the more explosive mm-hmm. player, even though Woodhead's the kind of guy that can certainly find some space and, and be useful 
uh, as a pass catcher. So I think we're in lockstep as far as Gordon being a great, like if you wait at the RB2 spot, a great option, somebody you can plug in pretty much every week. And I think you're going to see 15 to 17 carries per game, probably three to four catches most weeks, uh, assuming that the Chargers are, are struggling to play defense, which is one of those things. Is the Chargers defense one that leaves them shootout prone? Because I think that's part of the appeal of the San Diego offense as well. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, that the fact that they're going to have weapons to begin with in the passing game. Woodhead will I, – like, I, I like to think that Woodhead doesn't affect Gordon all that much because he will be just kind of that depth position now that, you know, Stevie Johnson is not going to be a factor this year. And Travis Benjamin more so just to go up and get a guy downfield doesn't really have that possession aspect to him. I, I think that Gordon and Woodhead are separate, and then with the offense being better as a whole, it, both of them are, are going to benefit. At least Woodhead will stay decent, and Gordon, I think, is the one obviously with more upside. If you're looking at Gordon versus Amir Abdullah, two guys entering their their second season, uh, running backs who disappointed us as rookies, I mean, which one are you more likely to take? Because their ADPs have been very similar throughout draft season. Yeah, I just trust San Diego's offense more. I mean, you know, Detroit has brought in a lot of uh, a lot of possession weapons. I, I don't think that offense is going to be very big for explosiveness. I mean, Abdullah needs to have a perfect offensive line, I think, to really take advantage. And I think Gordon is a guy that can do more on his own. And I think uh, you know Theo Riddick and a bunch of the other depth guys at Detroit are going to take a bit more away from Abdullah. So uh, yeah, give me Gordon at this point all day. So let's move on to our, our first quarterback. We both really like this player because the offensive setup is fantastic. The division is one where you're going to see a lot of points on the board most weeks that's Jameis Winston he's going just outside the top 100 overall and I think if you're looking for the poster child for the weight on a quarterback this year that movement like that's Jameis Winston because the numbers he should put up especially now that he's on the same page with Mike Evans could make him a top five quarterback at season's end oh Winston is my absolute I'm not one to pay for quarterback unless the, the scoring system really makes it you know, necessary or two quarterback, whatever. One quarterback starting league, Winston, has been my target for most of my drafts this year. And as you said, absolutely, the, the offensive system is just designed for him to be really you know, to excel in his sophomore year. He, he had a very efficient rookie year. People don't realize that you know, he, he kept the interceptions down relatively, uh, you know, found his footing after a while, was a little up and down late in the year, but... Coming into this year with more comfort, he has a you know a great cache of weapons. Uh, you know, like you said, Evans. I actually have Evans and Winston stacked in two fantasy leagues, so you know that could be something that really uh, pays off. And you know, if Austin Safarian Jenkins gets his head on right, which you know whatever, I don't know how guaranteed that is. Vincent Jackson, you know, forgotten but still has some ability there. And then Charles Sims out of the backfield could even still be very dangerous. It's a great offense for a quarterback to develop. And we see we saw Matt Ryan. Uh, with Dirk Cutter back in Atlanta, really go vertical. And that's kind of really what helped the birth of Julio Jones, sort of. And I think this is a case where Winston and Evans with more time together can be one of the best uh, quarterback receiver pairs, as you said, in the league. Uh, and if they're going to no, run more no huddle this year, especially, I think that helps Winston even more because I think he does like a fast-paced game to begin with. So, and he obviously he has great chances to use his legs with that. And who knows that, you know, Doug Martin coming off that very busy season, you know, breakdown warning i think exists for him so i think that might you know anything like that would help winston's uh attempt totally even more yeah i mean six tds last year as a rookie which when i'm evaluating doug martin i see kind of like a, a rich man's jonathan stewart in some ways and that winston just calls his own number i mean he's he's a tank at the goal line he doesn't have to hand it off to martin he can just plunge into the end zone on his own so i, I think this is one where that td volume is pretty reliable maybe you scale him back to four because projecting six for any quarterback is risky but I don't think that aspect of his game 
goes away. I think he'll get chances to throw the ball even more uh, in year two than he did in year one. If you see an improvement in completion percentage, which should happen, again, Evans last year uh, was a source of drops and just a lot of missed targets from Winston as a whole. This guy can just take a huge, huge step forward in 2016. I don't think we're alone in thinking that, but I'm just surprised there hasn't been more helium uh, with his ADP over the course of draft season. How about a rookie running back, though? Derrick Henry, who seems like he's got a good setup in that he's got DeMarco Murray in front of him. Murray's got a history of getting dinged up and missing some time. So there's a couple ways this can happen. One, the Titans can back off Murray, uh, use him for 15, 17 carries a game, and then get Henry 10 to 12 carries every single week, just as part of their, their default game plan. Uh, there could be some situations where you know, maybe Henry, as, as the bigger of the two backs, actually starts to vulture some of the goal line carries. We've seen Henry catch passes. And this is a team in Tennessee. They, they want to be a smash-mouth offense, right? I mean, that, that's what Mike Malarkey wants. And it's, would you expect anything less, really, when you, when you look at how they're built? <laughs> um, Derrick Henry, though, I think actually has the tools to become an every-down back sooner rather than later. Now, it's not going to happen that way this year unless Murray gets hurt, but I think there's enough to go around. And much like we talked about with Buffalo, because you have a mobile quarterback in Marcus Mariota, you have two very good inside runners who can take advantage of that between the tackles. And Henry, given his price outside the top 100 in terms of ADP, he's the one you want to get because I think you can use him as a flex most weeks. Oh, absolutely. I think there's there's a really good floor for a rookie like that. It's uh, pretty attractive when, when you get down to the, to the nitty-gritty of the running back systems there. I will say that, I mean, obviously, let's start off the fact that the, the passing game in Tennessee is pretty, pretty risky. So they are going to they are gonna feature both these guys every week in some capacity. You know, thunder-lightning-ish type of situation there. Um, I, I want to own a guy like Henry in a, in a best ball draft masters type of league because he's a guy that, you know, the game pace changes in his favor. He just, you know, they dominate up front. And then Henry's a guy that can just, you know, grind the clock down. That That's the guy that can win you a couple weeks with two touchdowns there. Um, if, if the game pace is a little bit tighter, I would expect to see maybe Murray a bit more. Obviously, if they had, had to come back from a deficit, they would probably use Murray more because of his role in the passing game. But I have been impressed with Henry having watched him. You know, Alabama, I kind of pegged him as one of these backs that – really benefited from that offensive line just you know bowling over everybody but obviously being a big guy himself he does have more mobility than i expected um i just thought he might be one of these guys you could bring down because he can't move like a like you know brandon jacobs turned out to be but obviously in his younger years a guy like jacobs was just you know mowing down defenders so that's the guy that henry rb3 base uh rb1 some weeks especially in a non-ppr i think henry can really steal some of those uh matchups for for fantasy owners there but yeah i i, I wouldn't mind owning a piece of either one because this this uh offensive uh, system setup is perfect for either of them I, mean, I think a player like henry has more speed than you realize because he's so big more of like four five 40 speed than four three or four four but when you account for the the mass on his frame how difficult he is to bring down that's enough speed to get into the second level and just run guys over. So I think you're going to see a pretty efficient season from Derrick Henry, even as DeMarco Murray probably gets um, you know, 60 65% of the touches some weeks in the Titans' backfield. Let's move on to a tight end. Dwayne Allen has the job to himself now in Indianapolis. Fleener, of course, moving on to the Saints. What's the ceiling for Allen now that he's not sharing targets at the tight end position? I don't think it's, you know, Gronkowski or even maybe... Uh, you know, Jordan Reed type levels of targets there. But I think there's obviously a freedom now that Kobe Fleener has gone and uh, that Andrew Luck coming back healthy, we presume. And, and he hopes, obviously, I think the ceiling is a top uh, 
five tight end, I would say, for him because, you know, maybe Travis Kelsey-ish type numbers because Kelsey, big downfield playmaker who can, you know, have limited targets but still, you know, um, gobble up a lot of yardage. Allen really hasn't had that profile. His yards per catch, yards per target haven't really been that amazing. Uh, But, you know, the the thing going for Allen, he's a great blocker, so he's going to be on the field most of the time. Uh, And Rob Chazinski is the offensive coordinator, obviously has a long history with developing the tight end position, you know, North Turner esque type of air Coriel downfield system, Antonio Gates, Greg Olson, Kellen Winslow, Jr. Jordan Cameron guys that Chazinski has basically made into studs uh, for fantasy leagues. And in, in general, I mean, Allen scored eight touchdowns in 2014 and this Colts team really doesn't have a tall, you know, matchup problem down inside the 20 or inside the five when it comes to the passing game. Uh, you know, Dante Moncrief, 6'2", but, you know, he's, I don't think he's the best short area type of receiver. I think Allen could be a much better guy than that. Uh, you know, and the run game, obviously, <laughs> we don't know how that's going to turn out with Frank Gore and all that other understudy cast of characters that, you know, nobody even cares to remember. So, yeah, there's a lot of good things going for Allen. And, you know, he's like the 15th or so tight end taken. I'm willing to wait that long for him. Is he someone you're going to plug in every week for the first three or four weeks and then kind of wait and see if you have to make a move to pick a different player up at the tight end position? I think he's a guy I would back up a, you know, more willingly in a deeper league, uh, shallow league. I think you don't have to take that risk as much because you can cycle out in and out to see what happens. Uh, but I, you know, it might take a few weeks because the, the new offense might, you know, not you know fit as well. Even though they, they did it last year a little bit, maybe there's a little bit more of an adjustment there. But yeah, Allen's a guy where I don't think the replacement value is that huge for, so I don't really I'm not worried about that that much. I'd rather build up other areas and wait for him or similar guys at tight end uh, later on. It just seems like in the red zone he could clean up because Hilton and Philip Dorsett in particular don't have that large frame that you're looking for. So really it's Allen versus Moncrief when the Colts are in close. I'm with you on fading the running game. The only nice thing you can say about Frank Gore right now is they don't really have any inspiring options pushing him for carries. At least I I don't like any of the backup options at running back. So the, the thing with Gore is that he might just score eight or nine TDs because there's nobody else really there to take the job away. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. But I, I, do, I like, like you said, I think the um, if they are going to pass, it's going to be Allen most of the time because of the the dispersion of wide receivers not being anybody that can really go up and get a ball as as easily as Allen could. It maybe like I said, Moncrief maybe has that in him, but I just don't. I think he's a guy that might be able to be pressed at the line when you're in, in close like that a little bit easier than Allen because Allen can block and release really well in the right offense. I think this is a good fit for him there. As we move through the later rounds of the draft, uh, one player I've been trying to pick up as many places as I can is Devontae Booker. And it's not because I don't believe in C.J. Anderson, but you remember C.J. Anderson had a turf toe injury last year, wasn't very effective in the first half, mostly just played through it. Second half of the season was totally different, kind of had the the coming out party against the Packers in a Sunday night game midseason. Anderson might just be healthy and productive all season. That's entirely possible. Sometimes these handcuff sorts of backs never really return anything because the player they need to go down or miss time doesn't actually miss any time. But if C.J. Anderson is forced to miss time with an injury, you look at the rookie running backs in this class and the players that are going after the first eight or nine rounds, to me, what Devontae Booker could do in Gary Kubiak's offense in the absence of C.J. Anderson is worth taking around pick 140, 145, because the payoff on a guy like Booker could be the kind of payoff that helps you win a league. Could be, could be the kind of payoff that Anderson had a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when he, always, when he had the same exact situation. Denver running backs, too. It doesn't even matter who's coaching this team. It just seems like Denver <sighs> running backs have been kind of in the mix, pushing people to titles more often than not since I started playing fantasy football 15 years ago. 
Well, I mean, it's just you, you look for depth and you look for patterns. And like you said, Denver, whether it was Kubiak or Shanahan or even Adam Gase, that you know they had that good development of the offense there. I mean, Booker is is a guy that everyone's gonna, everyone who knows something about fantasy football is going to be on. He's he's a great fit for this offense. He's a one cut runner. It's another zone blocking offense that that I, I, as we said has a really good history of developing these guys. Um, you know, you don't want to say you know he's going to follow in the lines of Orlando's Gary or Ruben Jones or all that. You know, off, off the off the beaten path, but you know, Booker has the skill set to succeed immediately with the opportunity, as you said. I mean, he had some fumbling issues when he was in college. Maybe that's something that. That pops up as a rookie because, you know, maybe the adjustment is there. But, yeah, as a fifth running back, there's really not much of a – more of a, a huge payoff situation you can get into than Booker. And at 5'11", 219, he's kind of that guy that can really do three downs if it comes to that because Ronnie Hillman has really fallen behind uh, in this team's favor. So, yeah, the Booker has been – I have Booker on, I think, two or three teams right now. So I'm, I'm with you and kind of waiting on that to see what happens. And uh, definitely one of the better stash guys you can have uh, past, you know, the first uh, nine or so rounds. It just seems like the current coaching staff in front office is more enamored with what Booker could do behind Anderson than what Ronnie Hillman could do. You know, I think they know what Hillman brings to the table. They like the fact that he's familiar with the offense, but beyond that, I don't think they look at him as a game-changing sort of back should something happen uh, to the starter in C.J. Anderson at some point this season. Nobody ever gets in their car thinking, I'm drunk, I'm driving, and I'm going to kill someone tonight. They might think, I've had a few drinks, but I'm okay to drive, or I only live a few minutes from here, or I've gotten away with this plenty of times before. And they think like that right up until the moment they kill someone. Thousands of people are killed in drunk driving crashes every year. It's better to be safe than sorry. Download the free Safer Ride app to help you call a taxi or send a friend your location when you've been drinking. Drive sober or get pulled over. Now it's time for our safe sleeper pick, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Many of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions like getting behind the wheel after the draft. Tim, today's safe sleeper pick is Chris Hogan. And this is a guy that has been called 7-Eleven uh, throughout his time in the NFL, even though he wasn't playing a ton in Buffalo, the Patriots sought him out. And anytime the Patriots seek out a player like that, to me, there's a very clear reason for it. Uh, maybe the production isn't necessarily great with Jimmy Garoppolo running the offense early in the season, but I think if you can take Hogan as that fifth or sixth receiver and wait until Brady returns in week five, the, the payoff that you're going to get from Chris Hogan is probably a pretty steady wide receiver three, especially once you start factoring in injuries and bye weeks once we get to that portion of the season. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as you said, there's no pressure to have him perform immediately for you. And as we know, the top two wide receivers in in New England and even (laughs) Rob Gronkowski, uh, you know, with Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola don't stay on the field as frequently as we'd like them to. And, you know, even the the depth chart behind them besides Hogan, not much to really surmount for for the former Buffalo builder. I mean, Hogan is so versatile. That's the thing. He can line up inside. He can line up outside. He, he doesn't really limit himself to any part of the field uh, when it comes to, you know, running routes or anything like that. Uh, his yards per target last year, 7.6, um, you know, pretty good. Uh, higher than Demarius Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and our friend Dante Moncrief. And, you know, now he's going to get Tom Brady for, for three quarters of the year, we hope. So, yeah, there, there's, there's so many opportunities for Hogan to get, you know, a really significant role in one of the league's best offenses. That's something I want to buy when, when you're when you're getting late down there. The 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 payoff there is just something that I, I haven't I've got him in about three leagues, so I'm you know safe sleeper for me for sure. I look at him as a player who's going to outproduce Danny Amendola per game with relative ease this year, and I think mm-hmm. having Gronk and Edelman on the field and Martellus Bennett, it might seem like too many hands to be productive, but I think the Patriots can have. 
three, maybe even four pass catchers that are viable on a week-to-week basis, just given the build of that offense. They're not going to run it a ton. Like Garrett Blunt's going to probably lead this team in carries. James White will pick up some of that Deion Lewis role. But I think Hogan can be viable. And again, I, I don't know if you want to rely on him early with Garoppolo, but I think it's worth taking him where he's going because of what he's going to do later on this season. Uh, let's move on to another quarterback, Robert Griffin in Cleveland. I saw some tweets yesterday suggesting he is criminally undervalued. I kind of think that's right. I mean, you look at the weapons he's going to have once Josh Gordon gets back from his suspension. It looks like he's getting on the same page with Terrell Pryor this preseason. Corey Coleman, to me, is a game-breaker. I like Coleman more than Josh Doxson as an NFL prospect. I like him more than Laquan Treadwell. Mm-hmm. I like him more than Will Fuller. And I think, I mean, I like him more than Sterling Shepard, too. You can kind of count Shepard as a guy that's in a great spot right now. But as far as prospects go, Corey Coleman, to me, is going to be the best receiver from this rookie class. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. Um, he does have that game-breaking ability. And for Griffin, I think people just, uh, you know, want to have that pre- preconceived notion of him as being a bust, injured, whatever. You, you know, a pick 180, I really don't care about the history with that when you have a situation like you said with Josh Gordon reinstated that that, that firms his you know that firms uh, Griffin's sleeper case even more you know Hugh Jackson coming to the team is a huge deal for this offense as we've seen he's very adaptable he does play to a team strength whether it's you know he made Joe Flacco into a decent quarterback he made the Bengals running game one of the best while he was there you know Duke Johnson in the passing game could be one of the better you know uh, receiving backs in the league and the defense is so bad the Browns would probably have to throw a lot <laughs> So yeah. that that's a case where I think Griffin is really going to get, you know, get some, some surprising volume. He does have a great arm, you know, in, in, in terms of what people expect from him. Uh, and like you said, that there's more weapons now with, with uh, that can kind of stretch the field a bit more. I think he has upside for an every week starter, even in a one quarterback lineup. So I, that, that's a, it's a perfect backup to have that, you know, to have that profit opportunity there as well. And you're not, you're not, in a, you're not in a position with Robert Griffin where you have to, you have to rely on him at all. Like you can take him as a high upside backup and then have at this point, I mean, you're probably talking like maybe like an Eli Manning type as your QB one, right? So you're thinking about Griffin like as a, Hey, you know what? If everything's working, maybe he's good enough to play over Manning for me. And if it's not, I can just cut him and I'm no worse for the wear. You know, that's the type of a price tag that Robert Griffin is carrying right now. I mean, the rushing yards, that's the big question. 815 rushing yards as a rookie back in 2012, 489 in 13 games in 2013, and then uh, 176 over parts of nine games in 2014. Of course, Griffin didn't play at all last year, just got buried in the depth chart in Washington. But are you expecting him to you know, push that 350, 400 rushing yards range this year? Because if he does that, that boosts up the floor so much. And this is the best group of pass catchers he's ever had at his disposal before. Yeah, I think so. Uh, although, I don't know, Washington's was pretty good when he was there, but I think there's an upside with this one uh, more so. Obviously, when, when Gordon comes back, it will definitely be a, be- a better core. I, I think Jackson is good with, like I said, Jackson's kind of good with working with uh, strengths and weaknesses of quarterbacks, and you know he's done a lot of things with with Andy Dalton, made him at least you know legitimate quarterback for a while last year. So I, I do think that they're, they're going to have him try to have him rein in a little bit of his scrambling that kind of led to a little bit more risk that he had in a few years with all those injuries. But I don't think they're going to say you can't be a running quarterback when it needs to happen. You know, they're going to maybe let him trust his instincts a little bit. 
but I, I don't think he might have to create as much, like you said, if these guys can get open a little easier. So I, I, and, and we, I haven't even mentioned Gary Barnage yet at all, which is kind of criminal uh, not even talking about him in this one because I think there's a lot of upside with him as well in this, uh, in this system. So I think Griffin's going to, you know, with, the, with things working better here, I think he'll be able to see a little bit more clearly when it comes to, you know, checking down or reading options. So I think he will stay a little bit healthier or at least, you know, put himself in better position to do so this time. So maybe the wake up call and the new system are going to be beneficial to him. So there's a lot of things going on. I like, I like doing last year's trash pickups too. And this is a perfect one. Oh yeah, I completely agree. And Gary Barnage, <laughs> I mean, in the absence of Josh Gordon, in the first four games, I think things are going to be very productive for him to begin the season. I wonder if he's the ideal player that after two or three games, you know, if you've done well with another roster spot at tight end, if Barnage is going to be an ultimate sell high sort of candidate mm. after the, maybe those first two games, you don't want to wait for the Gordon return necessarily because smart owners in your league are going to be hip to that. But if you're seeing more of the same from last year with Gary Barnage early on, I think that's going to entice some owners who maybe punted at tight end. I mean, some owners out there who drafted early, they invested in Ladarius green or Eric Ebron. And they're looking at mm. situations, especially with green where they are scrambling for something with upside at the tight end position. Absolutely. Selling high in a, in a position where you only need to really have one in most uh, leagues is definitely something I would do because, you, you know, it's a little bit easier to replace that sort of uh, expectation for playing time on, on your roster. So, yeah, I'd, I'd rather trade from a situation like that than trade from a, a position where you need to fill three or four like wide receivers. So, yeah, tight end's a good, a good position to sell from. And like you said, the changing circumstances later in the year would probably – leave Barnage with a little bit of uh, you know uh, regression in the negative sense uh, when Gordon comes back production-wise. All right, so we've got a couple more players we're going to talk about. These are two guys that you earmarked as very like, deep sleepers or just late-round, end-game sorts of players that uh, could be really productive for you know the minimal cost, the low expectations many people have uh, for them. And you're not the first person who suggested this player to me, but I had heard nothing about Robert Woods from anybody until you and Vlad Sedler have brought him up as a late-round receiver to go after. Uh, what's the deal with Woods? Is it just that you, you don't really like any of the other Buffalo receivers outside of, of Sammy Watkins, and as a result of Taylor having another year of experience, you know, Woods could just be the guy that he locks in on in situations where Watkins is drawing double coverage? That's a couple of things. Yeah, I, I do think there's the fact that no one else has really stepped up besides, uh, you know, injury, injury prone, somewhat Sammy Watkins and Charles Clay, who I don't you know, he had a good year last year, but I'm not ready to kind of annoy as number two. Uh, what's kind of played through a groin injury last year. So I think that there's kind of a, uh, a little bit lost of uh, some mojo from past seasons. You know, he caught 65 passes in 2014. Not I don't, he's not a necessarily huge downfield threat, but definitely a guy that could potentially have something like that with a little bit more experience. And, you know, he has a body of work that's, you know, not terrible. Twelve point one uh, average uh, yards per catch in his career. Uh, th- there's a lot of potential that he could creep more closer towards a thousand yards receiving uh, if everything goes right there. But like I said, you know, run first offense, maybe a little bit of a limitation there. But Taylor getting more familiar with a healthy Woods, I think, is going to be a you know decent amount of game breaking potential there. And healthy, you know, it's a case where a, a, a guy that might just you know have the light bulb go off in his in his fourth season because I think the third season, you know, the the theory of second or third year breakthroughs might have been lost in him a little bit with with even improving on his second year. So yeah, Woods, there's a couple of factors there that I just kind of like as like a number six or number seven wideout that that make me just want to kind of tuck him away and see what happens. Yeah, you have to wonder how much the instability at quarterback prior to last season also slowed his development as mm-hmm. an NFL receiver, former second-round pick out of USC. I like Robert Woods at least as a best ball option at the very end because in a lot of those MFL leagues, 
you, know, you draft 20 rounds worth of players, so you might go six or seven wide receivers deep. Definitely like throwing him in there late because he might have a couple of those big games that end up being uh, good enough to push him into your starting lineup in that particular format. Uh, last player I want to talk about, Terrence West, who seemingly has just turned things around, similar to what Kristen Michael apparently is doing in Seattle, where the coaching staff's been very impressed. The change of scenery, of course, for West is part of it. Uh, this is a guy that really couldn't uh, lock down a job previously in Tennessee or in Cleveland, but maybe he's found a home and an opportunity to fully deliver on his potential in Baltimore, where, especially with the injury to Kenneth Dixon, with that MCL injury to begin the season, the, the, the battle for carries seems like it's wide open with just over a week before week one. Yeah, I, I think people, when you look even in the late rounds of these types of things, they get a bit scared when they see a lot of options like, oh, I don't know who to take. Sometimes that that's very true to kind of be wary of that whole situation. But the thing is, you, you got to look and I'm gonna, I've harped on this. I know a couple of times with a couple of guys here, but you kind of have to look at the patterns of what the coaching staff looks for and and the system fit that some of these guys are good for. And people, you know, in his rookie season, Terrence West had a little bit of a promising run with the Cleveland Browns. He had, you know, 673 yards, four touchdowns uh, with the Browns that year. That Kyle Shanahan's uh, zone blocking scheme really helped uh, West and Isaiah Crowell kind of surprise some weeks there. The Ravens run a similar zone system with Mark Tressman. So I kind of figured that that's kind of exactly the same thing that happened with Justin Forsett two years ago. He was a good fit for Kubiak with that zone, you know, from back when the days with Houston. So I, and then he kind of, took that job in the preseason and ran with it. I don't think West is going to get every carry, obviously, with Justin Forsett healthy, but as a goal line option or as, you know, the, the between the tackles, run out the clock type of option, I think Forsett, they're not going to want to have him do that because, you know, he's 30, they're going to be 31 years old in October. I think West is, the, you know, the lead for the number two right now. And if he fits the system well enough to really run with that, I, I don't see him giving it up to any of these guys because, you know, Javorius Allen wasn't the best option last year, um, you know, and, and Kenneth Dixon, like you said, the injury kind of stalls him there. And I, Wes is a guy that is good timing for him to really kind of seize that opportunity because of the, the Dixon injury. And Wes, as your last pick in a draft, I, I tried to get him my last pick last night in the Fox S Experts draft and it didn't work out. But, you know, I wish it would have been a couple weeks ago or else I would have snagged him. So, uh, yeah, Wes is a guy that, you know, people kind of forget about what he used to do and what he could do in the right situation i think he's found that situation again yeah i mean that, that's the that's the key the, the path is there and the talent has always been kind of bubbling it just hasn't been a case where he's been able to put it together consistently baltimore may be that spot and certainly there were no expectations for justin Forsett this time two years ago i mean he looked like an afterthought and he ended up being a player that if you picked him up he might have helped you win your league because he was that good a pro bowl caliber season well over a thousand yards i mean somebody has to produce in that backfield. I liked Kenneth Dixon a lot before he got hurt, but I think West, based on the minimal investment cost, or even if you drafted already, he's the kind of guy that if, if Fab is running next week, short of being named the starter between now and when your Fab deadline is, I don't think Terrence West is going to cost more than a couple bucks of your Fab budget. No, because the psychology of the guys you draft, you always hold them in a higher esteem anyway. You know, people are not going to say, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to really make a push to go get West because I don't know anything yet or, you know, but the guys I stash, I'm going to wait on them. So if you, if you kind of have that open roster spot and something's happened since your draft or, or you know, or you think this guy's a little bit more intriguing, which I think he, he you know, he's, he could be a top 60 running back at least for, for the season. So, you know, that, that's a guy I'd be looking to tuck away. And yeah, like you said, I don't think people are going to be that willing to spend a huge amount of money before week one, you, you know, people are going to want to save their money. So West could be, you know, one tenth of your budget if you really want to go aggressive on it. 
So I got to ask you, it's Labor Day weekend, so just about everybody out there listening, if they haven't drafted already, it's either happening this weekend or right away coming out of the weekend with the season starting on Thursday. Uh, what kind of draft schedule do you have? How many drafts do you have on the holiday weekend? I actually have zero, but I might be doing um, – I might actually be doing an NFFC Draft Express. So nice. that's the one thing I might be looking at. So I, I, I'm lucky – in the industry, I guess you and I are lucky that – a lot of our drafts have already happened. It's not the best to get the read on the season that early, but it's nice when we have a little bit of a break in, right before the season starts if we've done our drafts already. What about you? I've got the, the classic on Saturday. That's, that's my big yep. one. My yep. home league draft, mm-hmm. we still don't have a date scheduled. We're kind of running out of time. <laughs> We're going to have to see what <laughs> happens with that. Probably, probably going to get a text message some night next week that's like, hey, are you guys all around? Everyone's going to say yes, and then the impromptu let's just draft right now like that's gonna that's gonna happen (laughs) which is fine i mean it's my home league i'm I'm used to playing in that one and uh the the big the big prep time the extra prep time that is that's gonna go into the classic draft basically the flight to vegas right i mean three and a half Mm -hmm. hours on a plane uh it's the last chance to really unturn uh, every stone and, and just kind of make sure that there are no blind spots so looking forward to that event and good luck in the express i mean the nffc leagues those those are really hard leagues but they're a lot Mm -hmm. of fun I uh, highly recommend them to anybody out there who's thinking about taking the plunge. Uh, the Rotowire Online Championship is, is still going on, too. We do that in conjunction with the NFFC, the Beat DVR League. That goes down on Wednesday night. It's a 9.30 Eastern start. Uh, definitely check that out. It's a $350 entry fee. Anyone who beats me, aside from the possibility of winning the league prize and the overall prize, gets a free Rotowire subscription. I believe it's a six-month Rotowire subscription. And, I've been hemorrhaging Rotowire subscriptions the last couple of years in that league. So if you're thinking about playing anyway, you might as well get a free Rotowire subscription by just destroying me in that league because the NFFC has just wrecked me uh, the last few seasons. But I, I stand by it. It's a lot of fun, a lot of great players, and it's the best way to really test yourself, I think, as far as uh, the high-stakes leagues out there. Well, Tim, it's been, a, it's been a great debut. Looking forward to working with you throughout this season, and I uh, hope you have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks, man, and uh, good luck in your drafts. I can't wait for our uh, for the rest of our podcast. It's going to be a fun year. Yep, same to you. Good luck this weekend, Tim. Thanks, uh, everyone, for listening, and be sure to check out uh, rotowire.com slash pod. You can get a free 10-day trial to the site. You can check out pretty much everything we do. The only thing you can't see on the trial is the downloadable draft software. Uh, no credit card required. Hopefully, you check it out. You like it. You can sign up between now and your draft. Always good to get a little extra time working with the site and the tools before draft day just so you're very comfortable with them when your draft gets underway it's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the rotowire fantasy football podcast sponsored by drive sober or get pulled over have a safe and happy holiday weekend nick and i are back with you on monday